0: Hello and welcome to the Impact Podcast from us at Impact Wales, We're Finn and Jane and every week we'll be bringing you lots of discussion, comments and opinion on everything research and education. We'll be talking professional learning, what's happening in the education world and everything in between to help you make a difference in your school. Good morning, Jane. Good morning, Finn, and good morning everybody else who's listening. Indeed, good morning to our listeners. And it is a Friday morning. It is. you. Well, obviously, not when you're listening, it's not. But No, no, know. it's a Friday morning yep. for us. And you will be listening to this probably on a Wednesday if you listen to it when it comes out or whatever day, if you don't. Um, but we have... Um, but as long as you're listening, we don't mind what day you're you starting. <laughs> absolutely. And we've had an interesting start to our day. But what have we been doing this week? Well, this week we went to Asgolawurth. That's uh, right for but, our second session yeah, with them. That the uh, all staff Welsh Medium Primary. Yeah, we've had lots of meetings this week. One very exciting one, which we can't really talk about. Um, well, we've got two, two meetings. We have. Got, um, two. really exciting. Uh, one is the only thing that we can say is it's Europe wide. Yeah, which is really really exciting. I I'm thrilled at the thought of this has been, this traveling. Has been on. traveling. Well, this has been on the burner for a long time. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And it's just just beginning to come fruition fingers crossed so it is exciting yeah. yeah the other one is we really can't say anything about it but it is incredibly exciting so that that's two things see the thing is I think when we talk about what we're doing we say oh we've been in this school and actually going into a school sometimes in a week that might be just like a really small part of what we do and there's all this other stuff that goes on that we can't really talk about very much uh, because maybe it's not sorted yet or we're still you know in the processes of developing it so that there are other things going on so as soon as we are able to tell people about that we will but you know the other thing that we should mention are the workshops because we're still preparing for our workshops we've got our first one coming up on the 25th of january for independent resilient learners which is a really a really big thing for so if you're interested in in that one there are still a couple of places left so just drops a line at inquiries at impact dot wales absolutely for the details we've also got and just to give you the list i know we do this every time but it's it's something i noticed the other day <clears throat> more and more people on x twitter are saying that edu twitter is dead and i think it really is it's it's very much in its last throes at the moment it's it's been kind of um it's been ill for a while but i think you know the yeah. the diagnosis is it, it's terminal yeah so um It's really important that we get that information out there. I mean, we have sent this out to our nearly 5,000 email subscribers, but if you're not on that list and you just listened to the podcast, uh, you might want to know that we've got the second of our workshops, Progression in Curriculum for Wales, which is the 31st of January in Caffilly. We've also got feedback, giving effective feedback, which is on the 27th of February in Merthyr we've got closing the disadvantage gap which is a uh, a slightly updated version of the one we ran last year which is on march the 7th and we've got questioning march the 20th in merthyr sorry that closing the disadvantage gap but that was um, scheduled for swansea but there's some we're still deciding whether it's going to go ahead in swansea yep. or not so if you are swansea way yeah or further west yes let us know and Absolutely. we can make sure we we get that one uh, confirmed but just before we go to what we're actually going to talk about today, we have been thinking about, Jane sent me something really quite funny yesterday, but we've been thinking that it's been a really tough three years for us. And it's been a long, nearly nine years now for us in business. And we have, through our nine years, we've been, we've worked really, really hard. I can think of very many... Weekends that we've worked through late into the night, early mornings. I can remember doing work on Boxing Day one year. You know, we, we've we worked really, really hard, but particularly since March of 2020. I remember those first few months, but also at times since then, you know, as as the landscape shifts and changes. Yeah. And, you know, when consortia support first became free to schools, that was a massive Thing for us because we were then competing yeah. with free. It's, it's it's always surprised me though that every year you think okay that this is how the school year is going to run mm. and how our work is going to be spread mm. across the and i think our first two years when things in education mm. were quite stable it was autumn term was, busy. was very very busy spring too it would start off busy and then it would tailor out as we got to the end of the school fund mm. the school financial year i remember we had one or two years where we had february and march with nothing in the diary at all mm. and it was like okay okay we can't like... pay ourselves this month so yeah that you know that's an issue and then the summer term would just yeah rocket so yeah. and we thought oh well th- this is the pattern that we're gonna have yeah. but every year since it's been so different you can't predict I don't know. how the year's going to how the year's going to go and it, and it is that case of it is know, as a small business well it's it's one of the things about it is it's really exciting there's always something new happening we've got a really varied mm. work life which is great but also it's very much sort of um, boom and dead quiet and i think that both of those extremes are really difficult to manage yeah, yeah, yeah. because, you know, boom is great. The money's coming in and, you know, we're we're working sometimes really, really hard trying to do everything in between. But also mm-hmm. the quiet times and sometimes they are deathly quiet are also really difficult because you feel like then you should yeah. be doing all of the development work and all of the marketing and everything. But it's quite hard to keep yourself motivated to do that. <laughs> so it's it's not as straightforward and so we have been working really hard so just getting back to the, the point of discussing this we've been working really hard and we have decided that we should have a corporate away day the first one in well, well, nearly nine, nine years, i have been on a way date for years and years, and we've never really found the time. I think no. we, at one point we we factored in going for a walk somewhere, didn't we? we, we never had, did that. We never did that. No. Uh, so, so that sounds really exciting. So they go for a walks away. Well, we've decided that we should yeah. do some kind of art and craft thing. You know, something, like thing. What one Jane way. sent me, you sent me. I thought it was. Really no, what What triggered it is I fa- I found something on um stained glass you yeah. could go for a day yeah and do stained glass I thought you're quite creative you know I don't mind like. a little example with that we could go and book ourselves on a stained glass day and then I, and then I found on Facebook quite quite coincidentally that that same day was adult ballet for the yes, day that's so a, I did send that to you and I thought no we're not doing that one because anybody knows me this it knows I'm not a ballet dancer well, I did ballet as a kid <laughs> I go. think yeah. as a 54 year old I'm not yeah. so keen and those are the two extremes I think it was yeah it's thinking so, about something that we can do if anybody's got any yeah. ideas of yeah. things you have done that have been fun yeah you know let us know we'd yeah. like to do something unwork related with each other that is something that will allow us to kind of well, it's shed, a well shed day, it? shed yeah, the yeah. stress yeah. of yeah what it's like yeah. working in education in Wales. So there you are, that's our kind of preamble. But what we're talking about today, we have done lots of political podcasts, lots of, you know, how's Education in Wales podcasts. So today we're going to go back to basics and we're going to look at mm-hmm. Swellers Cognitive Load Theory mm-hmm. because as Dylan Williams said, it's the single most important thing for teachers to know and to understand. Yeah. And when you start to delve into it, you start to realise that it's not just about how not to give pupils too much at one time, there's so much more to it. So we're going to go through it in detail, um, hopefully giving some, you know, uh, examples of how we've experienced it, or what we've seen mm-hmm. in schools, or, you know, uh, what good and bad looks like in each of the contexts, it's, so that you can understand it. Better. It's also one of those things, isn't it, is that penny drop moment about why children or well why people sometimes behave as they do mm. and why is this as adults mm. we behave as we do when we've reached that point yeah. of cognitive overload. And I think in education, particularly towards the end of term, yeah, we're all at that that point where there's just so much going on, you just can't see the wood from the trees. Absolutely. And I think it's also it, it's not as straightforward as um, well this there's too much information I can't do this so I'm just going to give up yeah that's it's much more nuanced than that and understanding where cognitive load theory came from and how it relates to things like how the memory the human memory works I mean it <laughs> drives me insane when you see in guidance documents it says things like um pupils and teachers should explore how children learn, learn. We all learn exactly the same, same way. way. Yeah, You know, our cognitive architecture is exactly the same. We all have a working memory. We all have in a long memory. In fact, this one it says the different ways in which children learn. I know, and, and I, I think it, it does feel a little bit like that's harking back to learning styles, whether, you know, you're yeah. a visual learner. I would just like to point out we're all visual learners. We all experience the world through our eyes, amongst other things. You know, it's not like you're only a visual okay. learner, but anyway, we won't get onto that. So it's really important for teachers to understand what cognitive load theory is involved with, because um, understanding where it comes from means being able to use it and therefore creating learning or creating tasks or creating activities or creating instruction for pupils in a way that reflects how the human memory works. But I also think being aware of cognitive load. Yes. As a, as a teacher yes. where that that could be the, the 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 one thing that if you can address that and help support yeah pupils with that that was one thing that will help help pupils move I'm not speaking very well today Finn well it's I would very just tired. like to say that neither of us slept well <laughs> last night we were both awake at around about three o'clock in the morning for a few hours so we're we're both feeling a little bit jaded this morning. you know what I meant to say yes yeah, I yeah. know what you meant to say and I'm go. sure everybody listening yeah. knew what you meant to say as well so cognitive load theory is about how the human memory works how memories are organized in the brain because knowing how memories are organized in the brain enables the teacher to actually replicate that in the way that the, the memories are presented to learners yeah so how we process new information in the brain you know how that process works because if we know what the stages are or what the influences are for that then again you can design your lessons to reflect that yeah. process and i think it's important to know the types of cognitive load because there are two main types of cognitive load and there are things that you can do about them um so all of those things have implications for how teaching should happen yeah we very often ask don't we in, in, in our sessions when we're looking at Uh, science of learning you know asking ask asking delegates and asking teachers Mm. you know how does learning happen and very very often the responses we do get are describing the conditions for learning not necessarily how or the process Mm. of learning in 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 people's brains the kind of answers we'll get is well when learners are engaged or when they're when they're excited by the learning or through repetition which is true Um, but yeah you're right I think it's really interesting that teachers, and I think I would include myself in that up until only fairly recently, you know, in the last mm-hmm. few years, is that um, considering that the the teaching and learning is what teachers do, mm. the, the difficulty that teachers find in actually articulating how it happens is something that, you know, is important yeah. to look at. Yeah. And I think that um, there was something on Twitter not long ago about... Um, how um setting out in a picture um what you're learning is helps you remember it better because you have to kind of you have to rework yeah, yeah. it so and that comes obviously from Craig and Lockhart depth of um, memory processing but also articulating learn there's quite a lot of research out there there was some research recently about um, how actually just talking even if you're not as engaged as maybe another child who is, engagement silent yeah. talking about it is really important because putting into words your thoughts sort of solidifies yeah. the but it's organizing memory. your thoughts in your head isn't it before you speak yes yeah. so, and that helps you to process to organize it you in want, the connections absolutely too. because this is the thing i mean i going back to we did a podcast with professor ethan cross he was talking about the internal chatter the thoughts in yeah. your head and how um you your thoughts are processed the equivalent of, not really, yeah. but the equivalent of 6,000 words per minute. Yeah. And if you think about, if you're looking at learning and you're having thoughts about what you are learning and it's happening at that kind of rate, unless you do put those thoughts into a, they could be quite fleeting and transient and you, they yeah. could get lost and you're not going to actually experience those uh, and lay them down fully as properly encoded, retrievable memories. Can I just say, I did let my inner voice become my outer voice yesterday at the car garage, <laughs> which is a bit of a mistake. <laughs> no, 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 no. You got no, your car I did, back, quicker. I, did, I did get my car back, quicker. Just, yeah. just, so you just reminded me then. Well, this is is it. classroom talk <laughs> is about turning pupils' quite messy, disparate, yeah. you know, transient inner voice become the outer voice so that they can then go back inside and actually lay that yeah, memory yeah. down effectively. So a short guide to cognitive load theory is that Bush. Yeah, no, it's going to be easy. No. It's not going to be a bumpy ride. So human learning, um, the human learning process is limited by the capacity of the working memory because the working memory is where you do all your thinking yeah. about, your and just to just be clear, it's not a place in your brain; it's yeah. a cognitive yeah. process. But we're going to talk about it like that because it just it's makes it a bit think, more yeah. straightforward. So, the 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 limitations of the working memory are really important because, of course, the working memory is how you process any new information. So, the the working memory is how we understand and, in quote unquote, learn all new information so the fact that it is limited is really really important because I don't think sometimes we take that on board I mean I can remember standing in classroom with 30 pupils and you'd be saying right this is what we're going to do today and then you'd also be saying and I need you to open your books and this is the page number and you know sit down get your bag on the floor you know all of those things and you try and make your instructions really clear but when you're thinking about how you're sharing the information about what you need to do. I can remember one lesson in particular, I was doing um speeches and I realized after having set them off on writing their own speeches that they actually needed another opportunity to hear yeah. a speech and how it worked. Yeah, yeah. But they also sometimes need that visual reminder of what the instructions are. So yeah. showing them on the board what the instructions are. Yeah. And Telling yeah. them what the instructions are sometimes is, is useful, isn't it? Because, you know, we this idea of giving them small things to do yeah. at a time, one thing at a time, is much more effective than getting them to do, like, five or six things. Yeah. But also there are, there are situations where you can't limit it to just three or four. You yeah. actually have to give them more than yeah. that. And this is something that um, pupils who have executive functioning mm-hmm. problems yeah. have, you know, uh, pupils with behavioural mm-hmm. difficulties or challenges is that um, you know writing a list or having a visual yeah. checklist is a really a good useful reminder. It, yeah. And you know I always used to write instructions on the board um, yeah. as well as having the number it. one. Okay, now do number two. That's Absolutely. It. And mm-hmm. I think that you know in our own lives, when you're going down the shop, you don't just say to yourself, "I've oh, got ten things I have to remember them." You are the most prolific list writer that I've ever met. For you me. write. You write lists for everything. <laughs> Well, you know, it's like my brain is only small, so I might as well have another (laughs) one on the side. (laughs) Yeah, okay. I I love lists because you you get to check them off and they're really, you know, satisfying. But yeah, I mean, I think it's I think a good list or even a rubbish list, you know, is is. really important because it just increases the capacity of your working memory. So why not? Because How many times have you been in the shop? I've, I've got, got five things to get, and I can't remember yeah. which ones, that, what they are. And, uh, you know, and I'll, even, walk, I'll be in the car on the way back, and I've got, oh, I meant to get that. Yeah, and yes, absolutely. Yeah. You'll go into the shop for one thing, yeah. and you'll say, oh, well, I need that yeah. as well. And, and you end you up five. buying the five, but <laughs> not, not the one, one thing get. that you went in for. So, yeah, and I, I think that just shows how limited the working memory actually is. Now, look, I, I did some research on this specifically for this podcast to find out, because we often talk about um, it being around yeah. about five up to nine out items but ca- it can be as few as three or more mm-hmm. items depending on you know whether the items are familiar yeah. or not yeah. you know what's going on for you mm-hmm. whether you're cold you're hungry you're stressed you know we all know those days when we've got lots on our mind you know when you're worried about your son's car might break down yeah. or you know that uh when your business partner's going to come into the office that day or... but that makes sense does not it if if you're talking about if you do work in memory with something that you have met before and it, it's fairly familiar mm. that there is that capacity to hold more things and do more yes. things for the work in memory. if you for example you've you're given five chinese characters yes that that's i much... never really work with you know yeah. oh that's much much more difficult yeah. of course if you're familiar with them then we're start thinking about the fact that you're actually getting your long term yeah. memory involved in the yeah. process but those items this really surprised me because my expectation was that you could hold those new items and when we say items we might mean a word or a equation yeah. or a i don't know a a particular process or you know they, they can be very very small or a gesture or you know it's items yeah can be really really small it but my expectation wasn't that they could be held for up to 30 seconds in the in the short in the working memory often called the short-term memory yeah. as well but in fact it's only two to three seconds unless you do something with them unless yeah. you write them down on a piece of paper yeah yeah, yeah yeah or you keep on piecing them to yourself, or you find some kind of mnemonic to but put it, them into. It's, or... it's it's as we go through through technology, mm. we've got more and more websites where you or, or passwords where you get the little four or six digit code mm. sent you on the phone. Mm. How many times do you have to go back? Do you have to, to go, go back and look at it, or yeah. it pops up on your screen and it's there when you put it in? Yeah. But I, you know, you can't remember. You look at it, and then yeah. you think, oh, you know, what level was that? But yes and, and that's and, only within a couple of seconds absolutely but you know if it is really 2 to 3 seconds we are teaching <laughs> we are teaching classes full of goldfish yeah. you know is it's i think it's quite mind blowing no pun intended to to realize how limited the working memory yeah. really is that the expectations that you can say to a pupil I'm going to read you a passage and I expect you to remember everything about that passage, even though you've never met it before, and then do something with yeah. it. I mean, that that's, that then changes maybe the level of support that you're going to provide or how you're going to expect people to engage with that. But it so has, it's not it has to change your anymore. pedagogy, doesn't it? Absolutely. So when we think about um, the cognitive processes, there are two. So we've got the working memory so and we've also got the long-term memory that now the long-term memory is completely unlimited research hasn't found any limitations to it yet so we've got you know infinite number of items and it hopefully will last a lifetime unless you have a brain injury or or dementia or something like that so ideally we don't want pupils accessing unfamiliar information we want the long-term memory involved yeah so we want to access what they already know about something so they've they've got some way of getting at it it's to increase the time that they can actually hold it Mm -hmm. hold it in their working memory isn't it absolutely because Mm -hmm. of course this then now dips into another um, research theory which is schema theory which is that essentially all learning is connected Mm -hmm. so all learning is connected in your brain um, and that is how it is organized through connections so nothing ever is just you know, picked up, learnt and floats free completely on its own. It's always in relationship to what you already know. So your schema, what you already know, that's how you make sense of the world. So, for example, if I were to go and sit in a, a lecture about quantum physics, I always use physics when I'm giving you it. Do, I don't it? know why, because I did don't you, know anything about it. a really bad experience but physics. Yes. When well, I mean, actually, I did physics. <laughs> I did physics. I did physics, biology and chemistry and God knows why. I didn't really enjoy them that much. But um, it was in that era where girls were pushed to do sciences if if they could. And I did physics. And I had a brilliant physics teacher, Angus Gregson. He was absolutely amazing. And I understood physics. And I don't know how I did that. Um, but if I was to go and sit in a quantum physics lecture, I wouldn't have the first clue what would be going on because I wouldn't have anything to connect it to with. Do, yeah. It would have to start at a very, very low level so that I could say, well, I know this about it. You know, I know Schrodinger's cat. Yeah. Um, but you would have to you would have to find something in my memory well, to connect it with for to, it to make sense to, to me. You've got to start with way, what you know, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. And this is the point of schema theory, that we take mm-hmm. on new information by making sense of it with the information we already yeah. have. So you can't explain a new word to a people, You can't explain what a commotion is. Yeah by using other words they don't know. You have to explain what commotion is by using words they already they make know. Them. Absolutely. It makes sense. You know, so just just to give another example, if I'm driving to a new place and I think about the route and I think about where I'm going, it has to start with the places that you already know. Yeah. So I might think, oh, I'm going to a new industrial estate, so I'll yeah. go to that roundabout and I'll take the third exit rather than the second yeah. one. And then I'll yeah, you know, take the second level. Well, I left know how there. to get to this point. Yes. From there, then that's the new bit of learning, isn't it? Absolutely. But or you might make connections through analogies. So mm. it's it's not that you actually know anything about that particular subject, but it, it's you know something that is related or could be related that that has some kind of connection. For example, going back to lists, you know, creating an action plan is a little bit like making a list. Yeah. But for each item on the list, you actually say how you're going to yeah, do the it? steps. <laughs> so you'd understand an action plan from yeah. your understanding of a list. So, you know, it's it's bringing what pupils already know. And then they have that added capacity of the long term memory to use alongside their, their working memory. So that's the kind of um, what's the word a crash course to. <laughs> What you need to know to understand cognitive load theory but there are just there are two types of cognitive load that we need to be aware of there's intrinsic load that's the difficulty of the material itself so could you give an example of intrinsic load from mathematics jane how difficult material is in mathematics so two different well it, levels it could of load. be adding a half plus a quarter Right. Or it could be as different as uh, adding uh, one third plus one third. Or it could be two and two fifths plus nine and four sevenths. Right. Okay. So, I'm just going to. So color... we're talking about fractions within, you know, more complex, the right. complexity of the numbers. Or it could be with. as simple as adding two and two. It could be adding two and two. Yeah. So the intrinsic load is how difficult the material mm-hmm. is. So adding two and two, really, really easy adding fractions and whole numbers as well, much, 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 so the intrinsic load is much greater then. and then we have extraneous load, and that is the way in which the material is, the new information is presented or introduced to the learner, so whether they are given a long piece of text that they have to read through, whether they've got a label diagram, whether they've got um, a PowerPoint slide that somebody's standing in front of that's got yeah. lots of text on and is being read at the same time, you know, the, how easy it is to get yeah. at the material. Whether it, they're looking at several different screens, yeah. and, it, and it could be, for example, in a, in a in a mathematical concept, it could be a question in context in a worded problem, and the mathematics could be just written as a as a straightforward sum at the beginning, so they're not right. having to process right the additional the, the, reading the, the creating side of it isn't it absolutely so what can be done about managing pupils cognitive load well let's just going back to the two types of load so the intrinsic load um, the difficulty of the material now you might think that we just need to make it easier so we just <laughs> but we do want that. that do we why don't we want we do. that though well we do we want we want learning to be challenging don't we, we yes. there is to be that element of challenge within learning otherwise if learning is easy all the time yeah then pupils are not going to but there's probably there probably is a moment where making learning really easy does have value well there, there is if we're talking about developing resilience and confidence with pupils like we do need to help pupils to to experience that element of success right as part of the it. pleasure of success yeah but i think you're right in saying that what we want to do with the how intrinsic the load is we don't want to just reduce it make it really really easy we want to actually optimize it make it challenging but not so hard that people just give up yeah so it's that getting that right and that's difficult it is really difficult isn't it and knowing how much of that difficulty step yeah to in to to make isn't it yeah and and you will get it wrong Mm. and you will and we've all been there we've all you said oh you know you can do this here it is we did this last week you know now it's just an additional step on that just have a go and you find that they can't do it you have to set that we talk very much about how teaching is complex Mm. and within that concept of Mm. you know knowing how difficult it's about the relationships that you've got with your pupils isn't it it's knowing how much yeah they can they can can manage isn't it well because if you've got pupils who if you have me if you have the kind of relationship with pupils where they'll just head down and just I'll just pretend I'm doing this and I'm not really going to say when I'm having difficulty then that becomes a problem gauging how challenging they're finding it so you're right you need to have the kind of relationship with pupils where they say oh I can't do this and I can't do this because I don't understand that bit of it yeah so having those conversations around what is the question what are you struggling with I used to have that when I taught maths for two terms all the time is people would just go oh I didn't get it yeah which bit don't you get all of it I don't get it and slowly we managed to get to a point where I'd say well look it's not okay to say I don't get it it is okay to say I don't get this bit of it or I um I haven't got this to be able to do that or can you explain this bit again so it's a much more productive conversation i think it empowers them to actually be able to pinpoint what is challenging for them and what isn't mm-hmm. as well i think it's very difficult as well in the in the culture of education that we're in for someone to come in and then say the work wasn't challenging enough yeah and i think there's that that professionalism the teacher to decide what is challenging enough yeah and how their pupils can deal with it absolutely and and there's this whole narrative around um, teaching is is easy. All you need to do is take a strategy, get good at it, and then you're off. And actually, it's really, really difficult deciding for all those thirty children in your class: are they being challenged enough? Do they need an opportunity to consolidate? Do they need to overlearn something so that they get automatic? It becomes an automatic reaction to a particular problem. You know, managing the progress that pupils make and how. Sometimes you need to just stop and consolidate yeah. and not challenge them anymore until they are really yeah. confident and got that. Yeah. And it, it that's really, yeah. really hard. Because we want learning, not Coverage performance performance. Yeah. Okay, so <clears throat> we want to manage that intrinsic load so that it is right for the pupils and challenging enough for whatever it is that you're doing, challenging enough for the individual pupil. But we want to introduce the learning in such a way that the work, the learning, the information is presented as simply as possible. The extraneous load we need to reduce as much as possible. So, I mean, here's here's a challenge for you all is to go back to your, your lessons, your instruction, your presentations, your PowerPoint slides, or whatever it is, the way in which your instructions and I'm doing this all the time, is just seeing how little can I use yeah. and it's still to be effective. What can I take out? Yeah, that isn't really yeah. adding to what I want to do. That's today? not to say we're saying the teacher shouldn't talk. Sometimes a verbal explanation yeah. is incredibly yeah. useful. We're not saying get rid of teach talk. We're not saying that. We're saying how simple can you make it? How much Mm. space can you create for thinking to happen so that it's as straightforward and obvious to pupils as possible? Yeah. And, you know, if we I'm going to go back to my bugbear is the number of professional learning professionals who provide professional learning for teachers in Wales and further afield and further afield but i've certainly seen plenty of examples in wales who it is their job to provide professional learning and their slides are shocking yeah absolutely shocking and their use of those slides is shocking as well the overload the number of times you know you see a slide and it's got a paragraph on it and there's absolutely no time at all to read it so you end up trying to read it and listen to the person presenting who's saying something different or could be reading it or could be reading it. It doesn't really matter that much, but certainly if it's something different and you're trying to do two things at the same time with the same area of your brain, the linguistic area of your brain, and you end up not doing anything particular. The the most effective professional learning, I think is when there's, uh, I'm thinking back to a couple of things that either we've done or there's been Mm. some other sessions that I've sat in on where there's just been an image Yes, on the screen yes. on the on the PowerPoint, and then that image, as long as it's the right one, mind. Yes, it has to be the right um, one. Is the one that really encapsulates everything that we're talking about for that particular point in the in the yeah. session. And I'm sure we'll come back to this later. But things I particularly like on PowerPoint, and I know why they they the research tells me why I like them is when you have a labelled diagram yeah. or a labelled process where the the bits of the process are labelled with words and a visual, so it's, yeah. it's visual. It's like a, a picture and a word at the same time, but it's chunked. So the animation allows you to just see a little bit at a time yeah, to yeah, make yeah. sense of it, and then to see how it yeah. fits as a as a whole. So it's like so. There's an order in there as well, yeah. isn't there? And, so, and that actually, and we'll go into yeah. this in a little bit more detail. That actually ticks several different elements of the works of the cognitive load theory. So sometimes less is more and, yeah. I think that, and I think that's that's the mantra we should always have yes you know can we say this with less words or with less yeah on the screen one of the things that you can experiment with as well is that how far do you could you break things down and how effective is that I mean you know ask your pupils and say well look I'm trying this out I'm going to show this to you this way do you think that's better or worse than the last time we did yeah. something like this did you find it easier or more difficult? Because you know that kind of feedback is useful for you, but it's also useful for your yeah. pupils to think about how they are learning. We we, oh, I think it was COVID that sort of triggered this. Is yeah. that we started doing workbooks? Yes, with all our sessions. So yes. we started with them with the online things purely to support the graphics that were on the screen, and then and teachers are very. They want to write everything down, yeah. just like people's want to write everything down. Yeah. And when you're writing, you're not always listening to everything that's going on. Yeah. So it's to make sure you've got that template there. You've got the, the key bits of information already in front of you. Yeah. So you can spend the time and listen. Right. I, I'm going to go straight on to the seven strategies to manage cognitive load. And that is the split attention yeah. effect is when you have somebody standing at the front with a PowerPoint at the front you've maybe got a textbook as well you've got your notebook that you're writing as well you've got three kind of yeah. loci of focus that you're looking at and that's called the split attention effect you want everything that's essential in the same place yeah. at the same time which is why our our digital workbooks are written the way they are in that they take the presentation and they take the essential bits in the presentation yeah. onto the workbook whilst the, we are pr- talking about it and there's a space to write yeah. right next to it so everything you're hearing it and you're seeing it all at the same time and it's yeah. in the same place and that reduces cognitive flow because you're not then constantly switching between three different places in the classroom and i think when we're asking people, you know maybe we've got a information sheet and we've got that exercise book and this is where things like workbooks and yeah. booklets and worksheets actually come into their own if the information and the task are actually together in the same place you're not then switching it's balancing the because workbooks do take a lot of time and effort to make sure you get them right but what if you do get them right yeah the benefits far outweigh the time that it took you to do that absolutely and you know we use them all the time in our professional learning because professional learning is just learning but of course once you've created them You can use them again and again and again. And it then becomes, to a certain extent, a little bit like a practical example of your curriculum. And you can adjust them and change them, which we do all the time as well. So the other thing that, just before we go on to the other six strategies to manage cognitive load, is that we can reduce the extraneous load, make things as simple as possible when you're presenting them. You can also optimise the intrinsic load but you also need to increase memory capacity. So you want to be using something alongside your working memory. You don't want everything to be unfamiliar and new. You. you want some of it to be things pupils already know. So that increases the memory capacity available for pupils to use when they're learning. Which brings us on to the first of the strategies, which is the is called, and it's not terribly m- memorable. Element interactivity effect, or in layman's terms, start from what pupils know, and and again, it goes that goes back to knowing what knowing your pupils, and yes. it's always harder at the start of term when you picked a new class up, yes, because it always takes a little bit of time just to gauge what what do they really know, what unless it's a class you've taken through, but it is about identifying and beginning to start with okay, this is what we did yeah this is where you are okay how can we take that on absolutely it's always going to be connected absolutely and when we uh, meet a new school and we're working with staff from the new school that's always what we do It, it sounds like we just want to hear their concerns and their worries and 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 yeah but actually we are both doing that and asking questions like you know what are your concerns about curriculum for Wales? Yeah. Because that gives us an idea of what do you already know about curriculum for Wales? What do yeah. we not need to go through? What 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 you know? What do we need to maybe address? What do we need to add to what you already it, know? Well, it's, it's a bit of formative Well, assessment. it's like with us School Awareness, isn't it? Because we were focusing on science of learning. And pedagogy. And pedagogy. Mm-hmm. So back in the... Second half of last of the autumn term, we sent them a, a staff survey mm. where we asked them those specific questions along with a couple of others, and we used that as oh, okay, all right. They they as a staff they've really got this, yeah. but this is the bit we're going to focus on. So that's how our support yeah. was shaped because of that. Absolutely. So you 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 start from what pupils already know, and it could be as simple as saying. OK, tell me what you already know about, which is yeah. what we do often when we're in yeah. um, with a, a school or what do you think about when you see this? Mm. You know, what do you connect this with? Because obviously the connections that every individual has are individual to that person you know you might say well you're doing the beach and you know what you want them to think about you know the topography of a beach and tides and um, weather and all those kinds of things and you know one child says oh the beach is where you get bitten by a dog and that's absolutely fine but it's unless you know that that's what their connection is you can't build on it it's about using formative assessment right at the start of the teaching and learning cycle isn't it absolutely absolutely so Revising related content through retrieval practice, maybe. So, knowing if you're going to be teaching pupils about <clears throat> evolution, that you also need to be thinking about, uh, you know, the, oh, I'm not very good at uh, biology now. I'm thinking about the different predator groups and how they, you know, they fit together. You might need to do that before you do yeah. evolution. So, yeah. understanding, well, this is my topic, but what foundational information underpins that? Mm. So maybe I need to do some retrieval practice yeah. of that first. And we know that if your foundational information isn't as secure as it needs to be, then, then, you, ha- you, need then to do some you need to start, you need to start Absolutely. Yeah. So there are, there are ways also when you're thinking about the way in which you present material or present new information, building that information up. Because if we know that um, what you know determines what you learn, so starting from what pupils already yeah. know, if you're introducing a really quite a complex concept, so say for example, I wanted to teach pupils in year nine a Shakespeare play, a whole Shakespeare play, and it's very brave of you. Well, I have done it. I've done it. Yeah, I've done it in year yeah, nine, yeah, and it's yeah, yeah. you know, challenging texts are yeah. really important. But yeah. you know, you might think, well, you should do it like a book, and you should just read it from yeah. start to finish. Actually, I wouldn't. I would start from getting them understanding the basic concepts of the plot, Mm. you know, getting them to understand how the characters interact with each other, you know, the tragedy, the jealousy, all of the human emotions. Because then when we look at some, maybe some excerpts from individual scenes, then they understand the language that relates and why how that language works between the characters. So that's an example of whole to part, where you give the whole concept first, and then you start to break down the detail in the little blocks. Yeah. But you could do it the other way around. <laughs> Good. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of a, of a mathematics example. when we, we, we talked about this yesterday and I was thinking about, well, if we're talking about breaking things down, mathematics is always building on yeah. one concept and taking that a little bit further, a little bit further. So think of linear equations, for example, if I wanted pupils to be solving Uh, And I think equations are one of those things that pupils tended to find really difficult. Mm. If I wanted to solve something where I've got maybe a two or three step equation, then I would break it right back down to straightforward equations. So if I wanted to solve something like 2x plus plus 7 equals 9, for example, then I would break it down and I would start off with, equations that in, involve one step step so maybe 5x equals 10 how do we solve that what right. does that mean and then i'd maybe do well x plus 2 equals 11 how do i solve that and mm-hmm. then you start to pull those parts together into a two-step which is really just a combination of those two easier steps that's made into the the, 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 the harder one yeah and then you develop that either into where you've got x on both sides so you wouldn't go straight into the harder equation you would build it up step by step and absolutely. See how those equations build so it, it's still both of those processes are still starting from what pupils those already know. know yeah to build to something yeah. else connecting that the knowledge to make to develop that into a harder concept absolutely so the the whole plot leading yeah. down to the detail of yeah. the individual scenes and the the language and then the individual parts of the bigger or yeah. multi-step equation from the single yeah. step equation yeah. so you know this is what we mean about cognitive load theory is it kind of it underpins everything that you do in the classroom so understanding the different elements of it and how it works and what it means you know how learning happens in the brain does make a difference to how you organize the structure you work and this is something that we we find all of the time though is that when we're talking about these kinds of concepts and these kinds of approaches with teachers, is that they will say, "Oh, that's why I do things yeah. that that way," and you know, that's why I I have that task at that point in the lesson. And it, sometimes you intuitively know it's the right yeah. thing to do, but actually understanding why means you can make a conscious choice to choose to yeah, do it that way. And I think it comes with the experience, isn't it? Knowing what example that you can put into this bit to bridge that gap with the connection yes. yes absolutely okay so that's we've we've done two of the seven strategies another strategy to manage cognitive load are uh, is the worked example effect which is a much more straight- straightforward way yeah. of calling it so this is a problem that's already been solved for the pupils so this is start yeah. finish all of the steps are there available they the pupil can see all, yeah. of the, the all of the processes and all of the ass it's the steps in between. No. And we saw something on well, you saw it, didn't you, on Twitter the other day about worked examples where somebody had, well it was a it was a math- Zach Groshell, It was a mathematics example that somebody had taken and we're looking at worked examples and they'd taken it But then it's that lethal mutation idea, isn't it? They'd then taken, okay, here's some worked examples, and then they'd listed eight different types of worked examples in varying degrees. And when you look at them, they're not really. I think we we could either tag something in somewhere in the podcast to have a look. But it's about there were things in there like um, show show pieces of two pieces of student work that have different answers or different pathways yeah and that's not, that's, a worked example that's not a worked example because a worked example is an example that is completed correctly from what? start to finish now there are other examples like can i can i just go back to that yeah. though? that is a really effective yes teaching strategy, teaching strategy but yeah. I, I wouldn't call it a worked example well this is what i was going to say yeah. is that um worked examples um is part of the expertise reversal effect which we're going to get onto later which is a worked example is one stage in the expertise reversal effect. The expertise reversal effect is uh, removing scaffolding as pupils get more proficient or gradually increasing opportunities for independence as proficiency improves. So what we mean by that is that in the first stages where pupils know very, very little about a, a particular process or subject or skill is saying, right, in order to do this thing that I'm going to teach you, you need to do this, this and this in this order. And here are all the details. So explicit instruction. Mm-hmm. And that may in- involve a worked example, start to finish. So in order to add two fractions together, this is how you do it. Here are all of the, the the steps. This is what it looks like. Now, ideally, over time, as pupils get Better and understand more, and they're more proficient in whatever it is you're teaching them. You would want to give less support, yeah, remove that scaffolding. You'd start with a worked example, but you might actually, once they get used to doing it, you might say, Well, look, here's an answer, but it's got this stage missing, Mm. fill in this stage, or you might say, Well, I've started, I've done the first two steps, what are the final yeah. steps or you might as they've got here say look here's and it works example and here's a pupil answer what have they got wrong yeah so that this is more for much further on, along the line yeah about developing reasoning and yes. having those discussions and and thinking about what's good what's not so good what's gone wrong well they're effectively they are comparing say a student answer yeah. which isn't accurate or doesn't have the correct answer or isn't as good as the best example of it with that standardized worked example of this is what you should be doing. But they have to have that first. They have to have that thing to compare with first. I mean, it's about not labeling them as worked examples. Yes. That's the key thing is what do we mean by, let's be very clear what we mean by worked example. Absolutely. So the worked example effect is a fully solved problem that is in that early stages of understanding yeah. that's fully guided instruction, it's much, much better than unguided or problem solving as it reduces the load. Uh, I mean, pupils, if you give them an unguided problem to solve, they will solve it, but it's just very inefficient. And there are times later on in the process in the expertise or reversal effect where there is time and space for that. Yeah. But in the first instance, you're focusing on solving the problem rather than finding the actual answer because the answer is already there. So the, you're understanding the process through yeah. the worked example. So we've done expertise reversal yeah. effect. We've we've kind of done that as well. We've done the next one as well. We've talked about redundancy effect, and we, we? have taken We've taken about that. Taking away inessential uh, material, so getting rid of extra text on slides, Deciding what is essential and what isn't, that's that in itself is a task for the teacher to think about beforehand. You know, um what can they cope with? What is a little bit too much? Because I mean, that relates back to the curriculum hinterland yeah. And, you know, that core content that's absolutely essential that they have to have. And then the stuff around the edges that is a good example of yeah. it, that you might illustrate something yeah. or. That's an extension of that that you might want to give them information about. But sometimes you might want to leave yeah. that bit out because it's a bit much. Yeah. Because we know there is too much. Yeah. Well, we did we that we've um, when we were in a school of Worm, didn't We, we, we did. had we probably did. about 10 too many slides. And we were deciding in a break which of those slides we yeah. need to go. There's too yeah. much. Yeah, As long as what we took out didn't break the connection. Yeah. What we were going to look go. at. Absolutely. So, so we've done the split attention you know. effect as well. The modality effect. Again, not the easiest of um, titles, but this is simplifying complex information by presenting it both in language and visually. So that language can either be written text, it can be verbal text, uh, but having it both uh, being processed by the visual area in your brain and the linguistic area in the brain gives you two sets of uh, connections mm. which both you've got two sets but they also interact with each other as well yeah so they are it's better connected than if you would just mm. describe it to someone and, and i think having a diagram of some description or a a way a, a layout of how things are connected like flow charts a mm-hmm. great example how to do that or mm-hmm. a diagram with you know arrows to certain points gives you that immediate one snap Yes. Shot, look at what's going on. Well, this is the point, isn't it? Because um, people, human beings actually process visuals um, synchronously. Yeah. That means all in one go. You see a picture all at, all at the same time. Mm. Whereas you process language sequentially. Yeah. So you have to wait until the end of the sentence in order to make sense of the we, whole thing. We had a really nice activity in one of our workshops pre-COVID. I can't remember why we did it it might have been reading comprehension it was a reading comprehension session we did and if you remember we had a, a picture of a of an eggshell right Do you remember this one no you don't have to tell me about it and a, a, a broken eggshell right with little footprints oh that's right That yes, one? Yes, coming okay. out of the eggshell yeah and it was just on the screen very quickly okay what what's what's going on yeah and the answers we would get from that yeah what well, would really detail but if you'd put a paragraph on there explaining the same thing, yeah for two three seconds and then taken it off, nobody would have known what was going no, on no no, and I think that's it is that you know uh, a picture um, speaks a thousand words, words. It, yeah. it's so much more immediate yeah, but that both have value mm. and I think using both together, yeah give that depth of understanding though that uh, breadth of connections um actually. Um, reduce the cognitive yeah. load maybe it's it's a case of trialing something that you've got in the classroom that and trialing it using dual coding mm. and seeing how much more effective or less yeah. effective it is with your pupils yeah that they would have been before and i just want to mention a uh, lethal mutation that was kind of prevalent uh, yeah. maybe two or three years ago where people kind of really hooked on to this dual coding thing yeah. and that everyone everything needs to have a picture that went with it and then you get uh, pres- PowerPoint slides where there was an icon for every piece of text. Yeah, yeah. But that icon sometimes was um a quite a tenuous yeah, link yeah. and it didn't actually encapsulate what you were talking about. And I think that's when it's not effective because yeah. if it if it requires okay. someone to look at the icon and go, how does that really yeah. link with it? Then that's additional yes. workload. The other thing I wanted to just point out as well is that we know that. Drawing learning, drawing your learning about something is incredibly, yeah, useful, and it actually requires a lot of deep processing. So it's not quite the same as reducing cognitive load, but it actually makes people's really, really think, yeah, So you know, if I said to you, draw me a picture of Macbeth, the play, you know, the thought that would have to yeah. go into that would be, and I, I know. That when I take a research paper and I turn it into a sketch note, yeah. how hard it's, I have to work about, to do that. It's about identifying the the one or two things that are the most important well, the, messages to get across. There it? are so many different cognitive processes that are going on there. So you're sorting, you're ranking, yeah. you're deciding on significance, you're dismissing, you know, all of those processes just for drawing a picture. Yeah. It's a yeah. lot of well. The hard that, thing that's one of the things i think with particularly with your sketch notes i don't think people realize how much work <laughs> they do. actually it's like that iceberg picture isn't it It's yeah. is, it's the amount of work that goes on prior yeah. and underneath yeah. that sketch note because you know quite a simple sketch note yeah necessarily isn't, isn't that well i did a, a sketch note yesterday about uh plan continuation bias <laughs> That actually took me three days. I'd been yeah, thinking about it yeah, yeah. three days before I did it, and then all it looked like yeah. was just a picture of a little plane. But no, there, there was more yeah, to it. There's more to it. Then. The final of our seven is the imagination effect, and I think this is really, really important. Encouraging pupils to personalise their understanding and make their own mental model of the learning, because as we talked about, you know, the beaches are where you get bitten yeah. by dogs. It's you have each learner has to make. Their own set of connections yeah. ideally you'd want them to be you know the the kind of standard accepted connections that link with what the learning should be but they'll need to personalize them as well and one way to reduce the load is actually to get them to do things like drawing a picture of what you understand sustainability to be yeah or create a flowchart of this process or tell me a time when you experienced this which is why, you know, all the way through, we've been using the imagination effect to demonstrate uh, That's also a great assessment for assessment for learning as well, isn't it? It is, it is. And this is the thing: is that cognitive load theory is so much more than just keeping things simple for people, yeah. not overloading them. It is pretty much okay. well, we how have, well, we, we, we learn when, all the way through this. We've not talked about making things simple. No, we haven't. But it's not about making things simple. It's making things much more accessible and manageable for pupils because I think we've all got to that point where there is just so much you cannot take it all in so let's yeah well it's manageable accessible but it also effective yeah you know making it um uh more deeply embedded in the memory so encoded more effectively so this isn't just about as you say simplifying it is about effectiveness of learning so there you are that's that's it cognitive load theory everything you ever needed to know <laughs> right okay so what is coming up for us next over the next week or so well we're going into pentagare primary school in swansea to look at curriculum for wales we are we've also got our independent resilient uh learners workshop coming up we've got our couple of meetings that we mentioned before yes society Exciting. So watch the space for that one. And I will just put in the in the show notes for this one. There's a really good practical guide to cognitive load theory. It's it's called Cognitive Load Theory in Practice from New South Wales Government in Australia that just goes into all of this in loads of detail with some examples and really useful, isn't it? Really, really useful. So I'll make sure that that goes into the show notes as well. But all that needs to be said is um, enjoy your week. Take care. Bye now. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to make sure you don't miss future episodes. You can find us online at www.impact.wales. You can also follow us on social media, on Twitter, we at Impact Wales, on Facebook and Instagram, search for Impact Wales, and on LinkedIn, search for Impact School Improvement.